Well, I don't know how many of you in this room can think back this far. Some of you are going to have to really lean into your memory banks. But do you remember the anxiety and maybe even the terror that surrounded the first day of school for you? I don't know where the anxiety may have came from. Maybe it's new classmates, a new classroom, new teacher. Maybe it's just anxiety about our summer vibe and the routine of summer now getting disrupted. I, I actually had an intense fear of the first day of school. Now, it wasn't big yellow school buses. I didn't fear that, or mean librarians, or those things. The reason for me was much deeper than even the reasons for most of you, and that is because I have a confession. I had been and have been living a false identity for most of my life. That's right. You remember the first day of school when you would show up, everybody would be carrying their book bag or their backpacks. You'd walk into the classroom where you're going to spend the next nine months of your life. And the very first thing that would happen would be that the teacher would take role. This is where it terrorized me. Because again, remember, I'm living a false identity in this moment, right? And so I just knew what was coming. And they would begin to read the roles, and they would say, Thomas Arnold. Thomas, here. Michelle Beasley. She's in the bees now. Here, right? Tommy Blake. Here, and I'm thinking, here it comes. And she would say, Stanley Kowete. And sort of like you just did, those people in the class who were in the know would do exactly that. They would begin to giggle. And I would raise my hand and I would say, actually, it's Lee, and the last name is Coat. I go by Lee. And I don't know what it is with most of my teachers. I'm sure the teachers in this room would never terrorize a student like this. But instead of just moving along, they always wanted to pause there and just dwell on the awkwardness of that moment. Right? Well, just tell me, because it says... Stanley, they would say it again, and you're saying you're Lee, so who is Stanley? I would then proceed to explain my predicament, that for as long as I could cognitively remember, for the, as long as I knew that I had a name, I had been known as Lee. But officially, everything formal, social security, according to my, any ID that I had, all of those formal things, my birth certificate, my name was Stanley. Now, it's interesting, when I went from elementary school to junior high, they actually discovered in the school district I was in that I had two student files, one with Lee and the other with Stanley. I was trying to figure out which one had the better grades and move forward (laughs) with that one. It's very confusing, but it was a good thing that I knew who I was. It was a good thing I knew who I was. And the reason that this series, over the last couple weeks especially, has been so important, and each week so significant, is because there are so many people who don't know who they are. Oh, I get it. Your name may not be as confusing as mine. You may have a passport, a social security card, a student ID. Maybe you've even snapped a thousand selfies but you're still confused as to your true identity. I don't know how many have ever been a victim of identity theft in a room this size. I'm sure that there have been some. Some of you remember about a year ago that hackers 
targeted one of our favorite department stores and stole a lot of identity. Statistics tell us, and it's, it's growing daily, so it's probably even worse than this, that 33% of us, about a third of us in this room, will experience identity theft at some point in our lives. But I believe that identity theft is not just a recent cyber phenomenon, that it's been going on for a long, long time. Your identity can get ripped off by the relationships that you're in. Your identity can get mugged by the mirror. Your identity can get stolen by the successes you experience. So many things have the ability to hack into our hearts and steal away our soul and our identities like nothing else. So I want to start by just giving you the big idea. This is the main idea. We try to do this every week. You go to lunch, you talk about it, you write it on your hand or write it in your notes. I want to give it to you right off the bat before we dive in so that you can use it as a filter of everything that we're going to process and everything that we're going to experience over the next few minutes together. Here's what it is. If we don't know who we are, it's impossible to become who God wants us to be. Let me say it again. If If you don't know who you are, it's impossible for you to become whom God wants you to be. That's really what this series in Romans and Grace has been focused on over the last few weeks. Our hope is that you would hear God say to your heart, you are not defined by your past, but by the grace that allows you to move into a new life, a new day, and a new identity. And today we're going to walk through, again, a very significant chapter in the Bible in Romans 8. So you can find that right now if you're on the app. You can go there, find Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bible, open it up there. We've been been drilling through Romans chapter 8 and we'll continue for the next couple weeks. So we're going to look at what Paul had to say about identity. And then we're actually going to jump way back to the left in the scriptures, way back in the Old Testament, and look at a person, a character by the name of Jacob, who really epitomized what it is to struggle with identity and what Paul what's talking about in Romans. Here's what, here's what Paul says, beginning in verse 14, Romans chapter 8, about our identity. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's identity. That's your identity. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit, verse 15, you receive, does not make you slaves, false identity, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received, this is so important, underline it, the spirit you received brought about your adoption, new identity, your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That was a term of endearment from child to father. We're able to be close and intimate with God. Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, Again, identity, Paul says. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. In other words, because you're adopted, because of this identity, you now have this result. You have become heirs. Who doesn't want to be an heir? You've received an inheritance. Then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, the Greek word adoption Heotheseia, that's how you say it. You want to say it with me so you can sound like a theologian. All right, let's say it one more time. It's on the screen. Heotheseia. That Greek term was actually a legal term that Paul was using here. And when you were adopted, it meant you had full legal standing as an heir. 
Now, in the first century Roman world who would have been reading this, it would have been so important because the wealthy and the influential in this time would practice adoption, but not in the way you and I are used to thinking of adoption or are used to experiencing it. Because oftentimes it would take place in a family who were unable to have a son who did not have a male heir in that culture to carry the family name and responsibilities forward. And so they would look to adopt. But here's the deal. They wouldn't adopt babies. That's what you and I think. They wouldn't adopt babies because in that culture, babies were very fragile and many of them didn't even live. So they didn't want to adopt a baby that was to be their heir. They didn't adopt toddlers because of the terrible twos and they didn't know how that all was going to turn out. So they didn't want to do that. Here's what happened. They actually would adopt adults. They would adopt adults so that they would have someone to leave their inheritance to. And they wanted someone that they could do that with confidence, someone who they felt was worthy, someone they felt was responsible. And here's the part you need to catch. So they would choose who they were going to adopt. Even slaves would be adopted sometimes. So there would be a slave who would serve a family very well, and and they would literally get adopted, and they would move from bondage, from slavery, into freedom, which is what Paul was referring to here in Romans chapter 8. Sometimes, especially the wealthy, the affluent, they would actually adopt someone else because they didn't even like the children that they had. Right? So if anybody's in this room and you're wealthy and affluent and you don't like your kids, we can talk. I'm open. There could be an adoption thing that could be worked out right now, today. Right? We can go Roman style and make this all happen. That's why Paul's use of the word adoption here in Romans is so powerful and so intentional by what he says. Because when we get that, Grace is not just this concept that we sing about and we talk about and we hear about. It's not just an idea, but it becomes a shift in our identity. Grace becomes the thing that changes who we were to who God intended us to be. Because remember, what's the big idea today? If we don't know who we are, if we don't know what our identity is and who our identity is in, it's impossible to become who God wants us to be. If you're adopted, your name changes. Your past is gone. Your debts are wiped out. Your inheritance is assured. Your future is changed. You have a new identity. That's what Paul says. That's who your identity can be in Christ. And now we meet Jacob. We go all the way to the left in your Bibles. We meet Jacob very early in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. And you can, you can read his entire story in Genesis, but I'm going to take you on a very very quick journey through his life. And no one in scripture illustrates the inner identity conflict we all experience more than Jacob. I think that's because Jacob is complicated, just like you and just like me. Jacob is complicated, just like your wife sitting next to you today. Jacob is complicated, just like your husband sitting next to you today. Jacob is complicated like your teenager. Jacob's complicated like your mother-in-law. He's just complex. And that's why we can relate to him. And the, the pivotal moment of Jacob's life is actually in Genesis chapter 32. And this is the story where he's involved in a wrestling match at night, kind of UFC style, with God. He's actually not quite sure who he's wrestling with, but he's going after it. 
And that's the pivotal moment. And we're going to get there in just a second. But in order to understand that, we've got to go all the way back. We've got to go back to the beginning. Because that wasn't the first time we see Jacob wrestling. Actually, Jacob was wrestling in the womb before he was even born. See, what took place is Rebecca was married to Isaac. You remember Abraham, Isaac, he marries Rebecca. Rebecca can't have kids for a long time. And finally, miraculously, she becomes pregnant. And then she finds out, not only am I pregnant, but I'm going to have twins. And you read it in scripture, it's actually pretty funny. She finds out she's going to have twins and she says to God, why is this happening to me? Be careful what you ask for. And so... She's pregnant with twins, and the day comes for the twins to be born. And the first child who emerges is Esau. He becomes the oldest, and he comes out kind of red, and he's probably a little hairy because that's how Esau was. Right out of the womb, he's hairy. And then Jacob is born second. But what's interesting is as Jacob emerges into this world, he's wrestling with Esau. The Bible says literally his hand is grasping a hold of Esau's heel. He's already grasping for position. He's already struggling with his identity as the second, not the first. And they named Jacob because his name means heel grabber. So if there's any Jakes in the room, hello, heel grabber. (laughs) Now, if you haven't found this out yet, those of you who are heel grabbers, if you spend your whole life doing that, right, You're living this me first mentality. Everything's about you and your ego and all. Quit looking at the person next to you right here. Just stay right here, all right? (laughs) Everything's about you. Everything's about yourself and protecting yourself. If you were honest today, you would say, I'm doing that and it is exhausting and it is miserable. It's miserable to live that way. It's hard to have a God first focus in a me first world. That's how Jacob was. Jesus said this, what good is it for someone to gain for our sake today? Allow me to change that to grab. What good is it for a person to grab the whole world and yet lose their very self? What good is it, Jacob, if you grab after stuff, if you grab after success, if you grab after status, security, only to find out as you're grabbing, it's left you further behind. Because in the midst of his mentality of grabbing, Jacob actually lost himself, as we're about to discover. Some of you are sitting in the room this morning, and you've lost yourself. Some of you are waking up at like 4 a.m., been there, I know. And you're waking up, and you're filled with anxiety, and you're looking at the ceiling, and you know you're going to go into another day, and you're going to grab for this and grab for that and grab the other thing. But when it's quiet, and you're laying there, and you're thinking about your life, and you're processing, you're thinking, this grabbing has got to stop. It's not working for me. I'm miserable. I'm exhausted. Because the me first mentality doesn't leave room for the God first reality to come in your life. And Jacob was about to find that out. Because his name didn't just identify him as a heel grabber, but all the Jakes in the room will also appreciate it also means deceiver. Okay? So Jakes, you're heel grabbers and deceivers. Thank you. Right? All the parents who were going to name their kid that just said no. But this is how he lived his life. In fact, down the road, one day, you've heard this story. His brother Esau was coming in from hunting. He was a hunter, right? And he used to go and he would get the family food. He would kill things and bring it in and all of that. Now, 
It says about Jacob, and this is what it says in the scripture, it says he loved to stay among the tents. Okay? What that means is Jacob liked to watch Food Network, and he loved reruns of Downton Abbey. That's just how he rolled, all right? And so Esau would hunt, and Jacob would cook. And so Esau came in, he was tired, he's exhausted, he's sweaty, he's famished, and there is Jacob, just, you know, he's got his DVR, he's changing channels, and he's got a great bowl of beans in Jacob. And so at that moment, he saw an opportunity because he's a heel grabber, and he's a deceiver. And so he saw Esau, and he saw the beans, and he saw an opportunity to steal Esau's identity. He saw a chance to perpetrate identity theft on Esau. And so he says to Esau, I will give you this bowl of beans if you will give me your birthright. The things that belong to you because you are the firstborn. Basically, if we will switch places. And Esau does it. Because Jacob wants more. He needs more. When you have this clutching at the heel mentality, you're always got to have more. When you're entirely centered on self like Jacob, it's never enough. C.S. Lewis, it's a great theologian and philosopher, said this. We don't actually take pride when we grab at the possessions itself, but in having more of it than someone else. That's what we really take pride in. So it's not enough to be thin. We have to be thinner than her. It's not enough to be rich. We have to be richer than him. It's not enough for our kids to be smart. we got to put them in that private school we can't afford because they got to be smarter than the neighborhood kids and better than that. Right? Here's, the, here's the problem with that. You guys got this. Whenever you're er, there's always somebody who's er-er. Right? <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just a losing battle. It's er-er-er-er-er. And this is Jacob. He's a grabber. He's grabbing at heels. He's cooking bowls of beans. He's trying to be something he isn't, grabbing for identity he's supposed to, he isn't even supposed to be. Because if we don't know who we are, it's impossible to become who God wants us to be. Now, there are two parts to being the oldest son. The birthright that Esau just blew off for a bowl of beans. But most importantly is the blessing. That's the part that every oldest son wants. It's the passing along of the family identity. And so in Genesis 27, we read that Isaac has gotten to the point now where he's old. He doesn't know how much longer he has to live. He can't hardly see. He's a little senile. So he calls Esau in. He says, Esau, I'm old, if you haven't noticed. I want to give you the blessing. I'm going to extend my right hand. This was actually what they did. Extend the right hand out. Lay my hand on your head. And I'm going to give you all the responsibility, all the rights, all of the inheritance. You're going to carry this on. But first, I want to eat. He said, go and get me something. Give me something really good to eat. Cook, cook it up and bring it in. We're going to do the blessing, right? Well, Esau leaves, and when he leaves, Rebekah has heard this whole thing, and she goes and grabs Jacob because she sees an opportunity. Now, before you say, Mom did it, Mom did it, at this point, Jacob is 76 years old, still living with Ma, Okay? <laughs> So yes, Rebecca played a role, but Jacob had the ability to not comply, to not go along. But Rebecca said, listen, here's what we do. We'll go in, we'll get some of Esau's clothes, we'll put them on you so you, so you smell like Esau, right? And we'll do some other things to disguise you, and I'll cook up some food, some leftovers from last night. Isaac will never know he's senile, he's an old guy. And you'll go in and you'll get the blessing before Esau even comes back. 
And so Jacob complies. He puts on Esau's clothing. He starts to smell a little bit like Esau. And he goes in. And Isaac's a little like, this is sketchy. I'm not sure. He, he kind of hesitates. But then he reaches out his right hand and he gives Jacob the blessing. And just as it finishes up, here comes Esau. And again, Jacob has stolen something that was to be identified with Esau. He was grabbing. He was deceiving. And Esau's ticked. You see, because Jacob was good with the frying pan, but Esau was good with like knives and like bows and things like that. So, you know, rock, paper, scissors, that stuff wins. And so Jacob, he was gone. Rebecca said, you better get out of here. And so Jacob takes off and he goes on the run, not for a year, not for two, but for 21 years. He goes on the run. It's possible to get what you want and not want what you got. And that's what happened to Jacob. Because listen, sitting in the room today, God couldn't bless Jacob when he was dressed like Esau. God can't bless who you pretend to be. Can't bless it. I don't know about you, but there are many me's. There are a lot of me's. There's the me that I am, and then there's the Lee that I want to be, right? Some of you have taken this to an entirely new level because there's an app for that. You've created a Bitmoji just like I have. This Bitmoji's app's awesome because you can basically dress yourself up in Steve Madden garb. You can do whatever you want. You can be athletic. You can be however thin or large you want to be, facial hair, whatever color eyes. You can basically create your own identity. Here's mine. It's awesome. This is the Lee I want to be, right? How you doing, right? This guy is awesome. I mean, if you could meet him, here's another one. If you could meet him, you'd love him. You'd want to vote for this guy right? He would be the president, so help us God, right? This guy, this guy here, he's consistent all the time, right? He's kind, very kind, but he gets things done, right? He's disciplined, rigid, but he's fun-loving too, right? He's got ripped abs, but he orders dessert at every meal. <laughs> you love this guy, love this guy. This is the Lee I want to be. Now, don't, get, don't look at me all confused, because you all have one of these Bitmoji identities as well. You do. Right? You may not have the app, but you've got the identity. You've got what you pretend to be. We're Jacob and Esau's clothing. It, clothing, it represents a conflict that exists in all of us of who we really are and what we'd like to appear to be. You can fool Isaac, guys, but you can't fool yourself. You can fool your friends, but you can't fool God. And until you realize who God has made you to be, God's not going to bless your Bitmoji. You've been adopted by grace, chosen by God with an inheritance that comes from God. God can't bless who you pretend to be. And so Jacob's on the run for 21 years. And finally, he decides to go home. He decides in this moment, for whatever reason, it's time to reconcile with Esau after 21 years and he heads back. He's had some success. He's worked. He's married. He has a bunch of kids. He's got the stuff he wanted, but he's still lacking what he needed. He still knows something's missing. And this is where his encounter with God happens. On his way to meet with Esau, this is where the wrestling match takes place in the middle of the night. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly say that it's God, but we know that it is. Some theologians believe that it's actually Jesus in some sort of pre-incarnate state before he actually came to earth. He was there. 
in this form. And they start wrestling, and they're wrestling all night. And Jacob's not even sure he's wrestling with. But at some point, he begins to realize this is important, that God is here, and that I need to wrestle with this, and I need to get this, this blessing from God. It tells us the fighting went on until Jacob's hip pops out. So he's grabbing onto this guy and his hip pops out and he's holding on. Now, some of us, when we see pictures of this and artist renditions, generally what I've seen, it's like Jacob's like this young buff guy, right? And he's tanned. He's like Captain America, right? But let's do some math, right? Even public school math. Just do some public school math with me, (laughs) right? If he is 76 years old when he steals the blessing and he's been gone for 21 years, help me here, 97 years old. Give the man a break, right? He's wrestling with God. He's 97 years old, and after a few hours, his hip pops out. I mean, not so bad. And he's grabbing on. He's holding on for dear life because something has grabbed onto him. He, he realizes in this moment that something life-changing has happened. And it's what happens when grace comes into your life. He becomes a grabber who gets grabbed by grace. And he's holding on to this man. And, he, and the man says to him in verse 26, let me go. Let go of me. But Jacob, with all the tenacity he's ever had as a deceiver and as a grabber, is now focused in the right direction. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I've gotten false blessings. I've pretended. I'm going to take off Jacob's stuff, and I'm going to hold on to God, and I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to tap out. He's holding on to get blessed but he's holding on to God. Then it gets weird. Verse 27 says, the man asked him, what is your name? <laughs> Just picture this. Here's Jacob. He's grabbing his hips, protruding out, right? It's like, bless me. The guy's like, one second. What's your name? <laughs> but this was important because Jacob had wrestled with his identity his entire life. He never got the concept that Paul was trying to communicate to the Romans about who we can be in in God, how we can be adopted into God's family. Jacob never understood that. He was so confused. He was grabbing. He was deceiving. He was wrestling. He was fighting. In this moment, it was important for him to say, this is who I am. So Jacob answered, and he said this, I am Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the one confused about who I am. I'm Jacob. I'm ready to take off my brother Esau's clothes and let go of heels. I'm Jacob. It's taken me 97 years since I came out of the womb holding on to my brother's heel, but I'm ready to embrace this new identity. And the man says to him, awesome. Now that you recognize who you are, let me help you see who you can be. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will now be Israel. And what's important about this is Israel means triumphant with God. But what's more important than even that is that it wasn't just a name change. It was like an adoption. It was like the inheritance, the blessing, all of that that Jacob had so longed to get from all other places now was encompassed in this one moment when God said, I'm not only changing your name, I'm changing your identity. And it's interesting, when you read on in the story, and he's referred to, sometimes he's still referred to as Jacob, and sometimes he's still referred to as Israel. And at first I thought, that's kind of weird. Wouldn't you just want to be Israel? Like, this is the good me, this is the great me. This, and it's like, no, because we're complex. 
And even when we identify with God and even when we're adopted into God's family, there's still complexities and struggles. There's still times where we act more like Jacob than Israel. There's still times like that. But he had now stepped into a place of grace. He had a new name, a more desirable future with God. Grace made him chosen by God. Grace gave him a future. Grace meant he was adopted and he had an inheritance. Now this entire conversation not only today, but this week, has been relevant to me. Because many of you told this story in the past, realized that I actually am adopted. So I was born in May 1967. Don't do the math right now. Do it later. I was born in that year. And I was born at the Arizona Children's Home in Phoenix, Arizona. And a couple days later, this family entered the home with their two young daughters. And they said, we want a son. And we want him. Now, some of you think you're all cool because, like, you were born. Listen, when you're adopted, you're chosen. <laughs> right? Like, some of you, listen, some of you, some of you, your parents were kind of stuck with you. Some of you, your parents won't admit it, but you were, like, accidental. But when you're adopted, somebody points at you in the midst of all and says, I want you. I want him. And thus began a brand new life for me. And a short time ago, I went with Dave Cowan and we went down to Tucson where I grew up. We had an opportunity to retrace these steps and to tell a bit more of this story. And I want you to watch it again this morning. Tucson is such a unique place. It's a great place to be from. When you come to Tucson, there's a lot of little shops and cafes and out-of-the-way dive restaurants. But a lot of really cool people that call this home as well. For the first 18 years of my life, that's what I would call Tucson. It was my home. Tucson is also the place where my life changed. Forever. You see, when I was born in May of 1967, I was born to a 16-year-old gal who knew right off the bat she wasn't going to be able to be the mother that I needed. Just days after being born, I was scooped up by a family at that point I didn't know, and they took me in, and I belonged. Though I was adopted, Adoption was just a legal term for me because before I knew who I was, I became someone else's son. And as I grew up, the fact that I was adopted never was an issue because for my family, I wasn't the adopted kid or the adopted son. I was just a son. This is the home that I grew up in spent the first 16 years of my life in this home. These are the sidewalks that I rode my bike on, key dates of my life carved into the concrete by my own hand. These were the streets that I would roam until my mother would yell out, it's time to come in, it's time to eat. Christmases, holidays, arguments and laughter, all in this place, all signs of belonging all signs of being apart. 
I lost my mom a few years ago, and just this past summer, my dad also passed away. During that time, it became my responsibility to finalize his affairs, make arrangements. In the process of, of doing that and paying bills, it came time to go to the bank and to close out his accounts. The account was actually overdrafted. I would need to deposit some money to close it out. So I pulled five $100 bills out of my account, walked up to the teller, and handed them over to her. And the total overdraft of his account was $499.97. She pushed across the counter three pennies, three pennies that represented my inheritance and the inheritance of my two sisters. This is my penny, my inheritance. To most people, inheriting a penny would be considered a disappointment. But for me, I wouldn't trade this inheritance for the world. When I see this penny, it reminds me of the family that brought me in, the family that I'm a part of. Yeah, I was adopted, but I became a son. When you came in today, you were given a penny. Some of you have lost it already, but try to find it. This is yours to keep. It's a parting gift. Here's why you were given this. It's because we're all adopted. We all have the opportunity to be adopted and to be chosen by him. To be in his family. Not of anything we've done or anything we've accomplished, but only because we are in Christ. You know what's interesting is over the years I've had a lot of opportunities and even been tempted or been encouraged at times to change my name officially to Lee, formally, legally, all those things. I've considered it, but I've kept the Stanley because it's the name given to me by my father, my adopted father. It was his name. And so it reminds me of who adopted me. And this penny reminds you of who you can be in, whose family, through grace, as Paul said, we can be adopted in as sons and daughters with an inheritance that's significant and eternal. You see, Jacob wrestled for so many years for an inheritance that he could somehow get that was bigger, that was better. And when he finally met God, he got an inheritance that was eternal, it was significant. And we have that same opportunity today because grace is amazing, especially when you're adopted. It's amazing. Pray with me, will you? Father, thank you so much for what you do for us and in us and through us. Be with us as we wrestle through this this morning. Some in this room have an identity that is not real. They've been wrestling with God. I pray that you would come right in front of them today. They could shed that false identity and step into a sonship, step into being a daughter of yours. God, help us to walk in your grace. Help us to embrace the eternal inheritance, inheritance that you give us through your son. God, that our past, what we've been called, who we've been can be gone and our future can be secured in you. We embrace that today and we walk cleanly and clearly in your grace and we ask that, Lord, you would just work on our hearts. Keep us in you. Keep us working. Keep 
your spirit working in us, we pray. In your name, amen.